friends. Reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself, just as he is pure. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thanks very much, Jaira. And thank you, Jeff. Great worship time today. This is actually a good Sunday to be here because uh, this is one of the most important messages I've ever preached. I've been trying to work up to this one for a few years now trying to fit it into something, and I finally found a spot, and here it is. And uh, if this is my, my last message ever, then this is what I want people to understand. And, uh, well, let's just have a word of prayer. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to study your word and to be in your house, to worship you, to have good fellowship, and above all, to be focused on Jesus. We do this in his name for his honor and glory, and so we uh, want to proceed with that understanding. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So obviously, when we're born again, everything changes. And that profoundly affects the way we look at people. In the parable of the Good Samaritan, we learn that we don't regard <clears throat> people who are different from us with cynicism and contempt. We look at them with compassion. In the parable of the prodigal son, we learn that our relationship with our Heavenly Father determines all of our family connections. So if someone is his son or daughter then they are also our brother or sister, even if they're difficult or undeserving. We don't look at them with suspicion. We treat each other the way God has treated us. That's how we can keep looking good. Now, in addition to having a renewed perspective on the visible world, we also develop a discernment for the invisible realm. And that happens through faith. In Hebrews 11 verse 1 it says, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And that discernment, being sure of what we do not see, becomes now our highest priority. That's the thing we're most interested in. For example, a few years ago, I heard Jonathan's pastor in Florida talk about the three most important aspects of our new life in Christ. And I was looking for my notes on that message. I couldn't find them. But I still remember the outline. And it was so concise that I'd like to borrow it for this message. So counting down, these are the three most important aspects 
of our new life in Christ. The third one is very obvious, to believe. That's how we become part of the family of God. We believe. First, uh, John chapter 1, verse 12 says, Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. While most of his colleagues had blacklisted Jesus as a dangerous heretic, Nicodemus wanted to find out for himself, so he approached Jesus privately. It says in John 3, he came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. Nicodemus said, I, I think I see God in this. We have been waiting for God to establish his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven through his Messiah. Is that what's going on here? I want to understand. But in reply, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless you are born again, you, you won't understand. You can't see the kingdom because it's invisible. Unless you're born again, you're not looking good. In verse 4, in, <clears throat> how can a man be born when he is old, Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Nicodemus just was bewildered. He had serious questions. Verse 9, how can this be, Nicodemus asked. Well, as Jesus continued to explain what his mission was, Nicodemus somehow disappears from the text. Apparently he couldn't handle the truth. So he just withdraws into the night. And in John 3.19 we read, This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. And that was the problem. As sinners, the light hurts our eyes. So we prefer the cover of darkness. We are nocturnal creatures. But that was not Nicodemus' final answer. Because he appears two more times in the Gospel of John. In chapter 7, verse 50, and in chapter 19, verse 39. And by then it becomes obvious that Nicodemus, in spite of his religion, in spite of his reputation, has seen the light. And he's accepted the fact that Jesus is God's one and only Son, and that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Are we going to need to switch? So Nicodemus eventually realized that Jesus was the kingdom of God. And he came to believe in Jesus. And by the time you read the end of the story, you know Nicodemus was all in because he risked everything to believe that. There's a story about tightrope walker performing over a waterfall. And for the grand finale, he took a barrel and put it on the, the wire, stood on top of it and rolled it across to the other side and back again. 
And when he reached the, other, the, the place he started, the crowd applauded enthusiastically. And then he said, okay, how many of you believe that I could put a man inside this barrel and roll him right to the other side? And they all cheered, of course we believe you could do it. And then he said, okay, you, sir, get in the barrel. And the man said, oh, no, I mean, I believe, but I don't believe that much. What does it mean to believe in Jesus? True faith is trusting Christ with our lives, that he will get us across the chasm of death safely to the other side. We have to be all in. And that belief changes everything. See, we do not believe that Jesus is the way to God. We believe that Jesus is the only way to God. And there's a difference. We believe he was exactly who he said he was. Our faith is not based on what we've seen. It's based on what we've heard. Romans chapter 10, verse 17. Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through the word of Christ. When we believe God's word, a transition takes place. And our focus gradually shifts from the visible realm to the invisible. In 2 Corinthians 4, verse 18, Paul says, So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Before I believed in Jesus, 100% of the time I thought about things that were visible. That was my whole world. I had no understanding, no interest in anything beyond that. But when I came to believe in Jesus, more and more I began to focus on the invisible and think about that. That's become a lot more interesting to me. And as that transformation continues, we start to act differently. Because what we believe affects how we behave. And that's the second most important aspect of our new life in Christ. To behave. James chapter 2, verses 14 and following says, What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith, but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes or, or daily food. If one of you says to him, Go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. You believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. What kind of faith do we have? What is the quality of our belief? A long time ago, in a denomination far, far away, a newcomer at church unfortunately sat in the wrong place. Well, after the service was over, the resident sourpuss admonished him, If you ever do come back, don't sit in my seat. As a visitor was heading towards the door, a lady said, Don't mind Henry. He's saved. It just doesn't show. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith 
but has no deeds, can such faith save him? Because when you're all in, it will show on the outside. Because if you love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength, you will also love your neighbor as yourself. You will do unto others as you would have them do unto you. You will accept one another. You will encourage one another. You will forgive one another. You will bear one another's burdens. It's cause and effect. I see it happening here every Sunday morning. There's a lot of one anothering that goes on in our church. We might not always remember your name, but we're always glad you came, and without you, it would not be the same. What happens here on Sunday morning is very different than what happens at the gym or at the local high school or in a business office or at the mall. And that's because our behavior is motivated by what we believe. And so a local church is like a laboratory where radical experiments are taking place to find antidotes for apathy and prejudice. It's where we culture new strains of love for people that we would otherwise avoid. And then we also take it to the streets. We don't just love those who love us in here. Even tax collectors can do that. But we look for opportunities to return blessing for insult, to overcome evil with good, until we learn how to love even our enemies. Now this kind of behavior is not natural. It's supernatural. It's because the Holy Spirit is in us. It's because our belief has grown to the place where we start to behave it out, enabling us through the Holy Spirit to live the kind of lives where our faith shows. So let's close in prayer. Because who could ask for anything more, right? Well, I could. Because that's only number two. The ultimate priority of our new life in Christ is not just to believe and not just to behave. It is to behold. That's number one. Now, you look puzzled. So like the old episodes of I Love Lucy, I got some splaining to do. The word, be, the word behold is no longer in circulation. The NIV uses the more popular word, look. So I would like to go to the archives and use some classic King James Version terminology. Because behold is a lot more than just looking. Typically we look at the visible world, and then if it's interesting, we take a picture or a video, we post it on YouTube, hope we get some likes, or maybe even go viral. Do you see that? Take a look at this. Cool. But as my grandsons say, what else you got? We look at a lot of things briefly because we have a very short attention span. We're always looking for something new. To behold is different. It means to consider, to discern, to study, to examine, to linger, to enjoy. 
Biblically, it implies attraction and even transformation. It incorporates a perception not just of the visible, but of the invisible as well. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, because that's temporary. We focus on what is unseen, for that is eternal. And the ultimate priority of our new life in Christ is to behold. It's like what happened in John chapter 1, verse 29, where it says, The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, King James, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So go over there. Talk to him. Maybe take a selfie. Yes, man, that's the Lamb of God. And then come over here and I'll show you some other stuff you need to see. No! When John said, Behold the Lamb of God, that was it. There was nothing else he could offer. Keep looking and don't let anything distract you. Don't take your eyes off of him. Give him your undivided attention. Behold the Lamb of God. That was it. That was the end of his ministry. That was the climax, the fulfillment. And that's exactly what happened. The disciples of John were fascinated. It says in verse 35, the next day John was there again with two of his disciples. And when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying and spent that day with him. And then they left everything and followed him. They were so impressed, they couldn't take their eyes off of him. They couldn't bear to be away from him because they knew that there was nothing in this life that had more meaning than Jesus Christ. Spurgeon said it is the preacher's principal business, in fact, his only business to to cry out, Behold the Lamb of God. And when we do that, Jesus says, Come, and you will see. Come, and you will see. That's the highest calling. And that one has eternity written all over it. Because we are changed more by what we see than by what we do. For example, Isaiah was a priest who served in the temple, where he invited sinners to bring a sacrifice as a temporary measure to restore their broken relationship with God. Isaiah was a hazmat expert in the handling of the toxic material of our transgressions. And his behavior was very professional. It was effective. He was doing all the right things but his life didn't really change until he saw the invisible. Isaiah chapter 6, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne high 
and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And above him there were seraphim calling out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And I cried, Woe to me, I am ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. That's when his life changed. When he beheld the holiness of God. He'd been in that temple all his life, ministering, 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 and then all of a sudden, the invisible broke through, and he beheld the glory of God, and he was never the same again. You know, sometimes our faith doesn't show. We don't quite believe that much. Sometimes our behavior becomes mechanical. It's routine. We're not really changed. So we need to turn it up a notch because the most powerful transformations come by what we see. You know, advertisers understand this. That's why there's so many sports jerseys in circulation with names like LeBron and Brady and Jordan. We focus on our hearers. We want to be identified with them, often aspiring to become like them, just like Mike. That's why over the years there's been so many young girls dressing like Madonna or Britney Spears or Lady Gaga or Beyonce. We become like the people we admire. That's why British Prime Minister Boris Johnson looks like Donald Trump. That's probably a bad example. But in the spiritual dimension, this phenomena is described in 1 John chapter 3, the passage that Jaira read. Verse 1 says, How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. You see, we don't model our lives on anything that we see in the world. We're not interested in conforming so that they will think we're cool or competent or respected. We don't even try that because that's not what, it, what it's all about. We are different. We don't fit in because our focus is elsewhere. Verse 2. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. You see, we are currently in the process of changing our behavior. We are purifying ourselves just as he is pure. Through discipline and good decisions, we are becoming more like Christ. But let's be honest, there's such a long way to go. And it's so slow. It's three steps forward, two steps back. Well, get ready for the acceleration because we are going into warp drive. It says we know that when he appears, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. All of those who have been fixing their eyes on Jesus in the invisible realm 
will see him visibly when he returns. And in, the, in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, they will be transformed into his likeness because they will see him as he is. The one who began the good work in us will bring it to completion at that moment. In Romans chapter 8, verse 19, it says, The whole universe is waiting for that event. It says the creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. The sons and daughters of God. How do you like me now? I can't wait for that. You know, my life has been changing gradually for so many decades. But I wish, I, I wish it was finished, but it's so far from being finished. In my late teens and early 20s, I realized that I was a disaster as a human being. I was hopelessly selfish. I spent way too much time being depressed. And I had an industrial-grade inferiority complex. So I was thrilled to realize that I could give control, give up control of the bankrupt business of me, myself, and I, and come under the new management of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I'll tell you, that's the best thing that I've ever done for the human race. In fact, I think everybody who surrenders control to Jesus Christ should be given a humanitarian award. It's worthy of a Nobel Peace Prize. We've just done the world a tremendous favor. It's like John the Baptist said, he must increase, I must decrease. The world needs to see more of Jesus and less of me. And that's what happens when we behold him. We are changed, we're transformed. Paul talks about that in 2 Corinthians 3 comparing it to what Moses experienced on uh, Mount Sinai. He says in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 7, Now if the ministry that brought death, which is the law, which was engraved in letters of stone, came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily on the face of Moses because of its glory fading though it was. Because Moses had been an eyewitness of God's glory on Mount Sinai, when he came down, his face still radiated an afterglow that was so intense that Hebrews could not look steadily on his countenance. So he had to put a veil over his face for the protection of the audience. And then Paul concludes in verse 18, And we, who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. You see, as we behold the glory of the Lord, as we fix our eyes on what is unseen in the Scriptures, in our meditations, in our prayers, in our worship, in our fellowship, in our witnessing, in our self-denial, we are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory. Now, in our case, there's no radioactive glow because this is spiritually discerned. But the transformation is taking place. So every time you come to church to worship, 
and to listen to this word. And by faith, see the invisible. You are being changed into his likeness. Because all of these things not only increase our faith, not only inspire our faithfulness, but they give us the opportunity for the greatest experience in life to behold the glory of the Lord. Of course it is essential to believe and to behave. But we have to add one more thing. Because our correct theology, our correct doctrines, can be shaken by doubt until we cry out, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. We all know people who sincerely believed and then they got disappointed and turned away. And we all know people who were role models of Christian behavior, but they got distracted and they fell away. How can that happen? Because they didn't go deep enough. It's explained in the parable of the sower. Shallow roots. You can believe the right things. You can do the right things. But Christianity is more than passing a theology exam and a police check. It's all about Jesus and fixing our eyes on him. You know, I meet people all the time who tell me that they need to go to church more often or they should go back to church. And it kind of makes me wonder why they went to church in the first place. Was it because of the fellowship? Well, that's important. Maybe it was because of the offering. That's exciting. Well, don't you miss the announcements? Why do we go to church? It's more than just a place where we are reminded of what we believe. It's more than just a place where they tell us how to behave. Above all, it is a great opportunity to behold the Lord. It's like the Christmas carol says, Oh, come, let us adore Him. That's the ultimate invitation to adore Christ. Has that happened in your life here today? Have you experienced the opportunity of adoring the Lord? Then this is the most important thing that you've experienced this week. There's a lot of Christians who don't understand that. And that's why church is just an option for them. Yeah, well, I'm planning a trip to heaven, so... I'm supposed to go to these weekly briefings. Oh, it's so much more than that. One of my favorite songs is by Fernando Ortega. And it was sung at Billy Graham's funeral. Just a few of the lyrics. In the morning when I rise, give me Jesus. You can have the whole world. Give me Jesus. And when I am alone, give me Jesus. You can have the whole world, but give me Jesus. And when I come to die, give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. You can have the whole world, but give me Jesus. 
That's really what it means to be looking good. That's why as we wait for his return, we fix our eyes on Jesus. It is important to believe and to behave. But the ultimate priority of Christianity is to go even further. It is to behold. That is the believer's endgame. Before our final song, we're just going to watch a video.
ask everyone to rise. That's a little foretaste of heaven. But beholding God is also something we can do personally when we're alone with him. And that's kind of the whole uh, emphasis of this closing song that uh, Jeff's going to lead us in. It's Fernando Ortega's Give Me Jesus. <laughs>